everybody welcome to keith and mike and tux watch deep space nine we are talking about season two episode 16 shadow play uh mike i already know this morning that both of us have been maimed by our sweet loving cats yes. one of whom just did a cameo how's it going well he didn't he would never maim me uh it's no. my it's my twitchy orange cat who i rolled over on accidentally oh, no and he decided to let me know about it so uh you know there i got i got a badass scar going Ooh. well uh my my sweet fluffy boy charlie uh as as he as we begin in every day with him sleeping on me uh this morning until uh he heard a bird land on the air conditioner and i am gashed like a 16 inch gash mm -hmm. right down my gut you got that zipper i sure do well, so uh, so we're Mike, you know what there, there's a, it brings us a sense of urgency, Keith. Hmm. We do. Does it? How, how does that bring us a sense of urgency? Well, Keith, I'll tell you why. As I segue unpreparedly, <laughs> the encroaching you know march of time across our shriveled, broken old bodies. Yeah. Well, there's that. But also, Keith, we celebrate today. Today yes, we celebrate. We do. And so, right? <laughs> the sense of urgency from. <laughs> It's this Boy, stellar segues that have really led us to broadcasting uh, fortune and fame. <laughs> just really, really getting a sense of why we deserve this incredible achievement. We have finally passed a thousand subscribers, which means it's great for us and bad for you, because now there's going to be ads eventually, uh, which uh, I understand. Yay! Oh, that yeah. keeps going, doesn't it? It, really, it sure does. It's yeah, extended. no. It's extended. Uh, yeah, so. which which sucks, but but honestly, it really does help us. Uh, we think. If you, we think. I, I mean, there's going to be you know I, I tens of dollars a year. Talking. We're going to make tens of dollars a year on our ads. Um, which, uh, if if you actually watch them, it actually it very much does help us, which is annoying and stupid, and I hate it. I hate it too. Um, but uh, it really does help subsidize the nonsense that we do here on Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine and the entire KM Empire. But you want to know what else? Who else helps subsidize and uh, keep the lights on here at the uh, the KM headquarters? And that is our patrons. Mike, tell us who's uh, who's patroning these days. Uh, yes, actually, physically holding on the lights, uh, ready to uh, unscrew them at any given moment. It's Brian Kaufman, Ooh. Casey Clark, Cloud Lover Six Nine, Jason Moe, Andrew Hayes. Jorge Navoa and the mysterious Worf's, Worf's boot shivs. Thanks, Worf's, for letting me know you're checking out Mike Watches Deep Space Nine on the Patreon feed. I'm glad I'm not yelling completely into the void. CRM Productions, Charles Babbage, at Grim underscore Toys, Delusions at Noon, Eric Wilson. You can join the team at patreon.com slash KNM. The few, the proud, the patrons. I don't know if they're proud, well, but, they're, but they're doing it. Uh... 
All right, so that's very exciting. Well, we have to. Uh, uh, I'm I'm getting a new phone today, hopefully. So we, we got to hurry up and and go. I'm still I'm still rocking my eight plus here in uh, December of 2022, which uh, honestly has been a has been a great loyal phone to me all of these years. But then I realized I went into town for to see a show, and left at about five o'clock with a hundred percent. And uh, by the time the show was, I'm like, I don't know if this is going to make it so mm. that I can use my ticket <laughs> to get back Oh, wow. Home. That's bad. So uh, it was like, oh, it might be time. It might be time, you stubborn old goat. So uh, what do you say? We talk about this episode, Mike. Let's do it, Keith. All right. So uh, Deep Space Nine, season two, episode 16, Shadow Played. Play. Uh, it, it did... It did play in the past tense, but whatever. It aired on February 20th, 1994, and we were tuning in to hear the dulcet tones, Mike, once again, of The Power of Love by Celine Dion, or sung by Celine Dion. Oof, this takes on a new meaning this week. Do you think that uh, 1994 Celine knew that all these years later, she'd be suffering from a really, like, rare, like a truly a one in a million disease? Uh, I can't even make fun of her music today, Keith. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't bring myself to the power of love. Apparently you could. Okay. Uh, that, was, that was a loving tribute. Just in case you can't tell the difference between my parody and loving tribute, as a letter. Uh-huh, uh-huh, great. <laughs> no, you're not allowed to add new that things to the good. soundboard. We're... we're... <laughs> That was bad. Uh, patrons can vote on whether or not Mike should lose soundboard Incorrect. access. Mike paid money <laughs> for it, so he's keeping it. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, speaking of things I wish nobody had spent any money on, the top movie this week thing was On Deadly Ground. Do you remember the cinematic classic On Deadly Ground? I don't think I saw a lot of movies in 1994. To be honest, I was 14. I was playing band. Yeah, but but this was uh, starring a certain, um, uh, reportedly a terrible human being whose sensibilities never stopped being 14, Steven Seagal. Oh, my dad met Steven Seagal. There's a picture of my dad and Steven Seagal. It's really funny. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, boy. I mean, all of the I think stories. I hear he continues to be a pretty poor human. He, he is reliably, at least purportedly, I have never met the man, uh, but uh, purportedly, reliably, one of the just, what is the word? Because, like, douchey's not quite the right word. It's just, like, one of those Smarmy? lazy. Mm, gross. It, gross. Yeah, there's something just, like, I feel like look a grown man who rocks a ponytail. It says all it needs to say. I I feel like were I to have touched Steven Seagal, my finger would still be sticky. That's sort of the feel that I get. It's kind of like the Star Trek compendium we're going to open up later. Yes, <laughs> you mailed me the other one. All right, so uh, Mike, what was going on, on TV this day? Well, Keith. Um, you know, we take a look at two days now because it was, uh, depending on where you were in the market, could have been Saturday or Sunday. Mm-hmm. But we'll start with Sunday because that's what you remember. Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, of course. It was a new episode called Foundling. I'm trying to remember. I don't know. Uh, Sunday Night at the Movies. What about Bob? 
Oh, Bill Murray Bob? classic. Uh, Winter Olympics were still rocking strong over on mm-hmm. CBS. Fox had their their Martin right. Living Single block. Sequest Sunday night movie was I Know My Son Is Alive. <laughs> Let's pop back to Saturday, see what had been happening. Airplane was on ABC. Uh, CBS was Olympics, of course. America's Most Wanted. We talked about that. But Keith, something that came came on at 10 o'clock on ABC, which I haven't mentioned on this show yet, I don't think. One of my favorites, and I don't think it was really written for 14-year-old people, but I love to watch it with my mom, was The Commish. The Commish oh. was a Saturday Night Special. And I don't know when, off the top of my head, because it used to be a back-to-back block. From 9 to 10 uh, was quantum leap and then 10 to 11 was the commish so i don't was know quantum leap still running in 94 i don't think it had started yet maybe no oh so maybe it had ended its run okay, maybe that's what it was uh but i used to watch those back to back i recall on abc but uh the commish man and a, a great show michael chiklis before the shield and, and a stellar series if you haven't checked out the commish you should track it down Quantum Leap ran from 1989 through 1993, so it's already off air at this point. Wow, that's crazy to me. Yeah, well, you know. How many seasons Uh, did the commish run? Could you Google that real quick since we're here? I sure can. Uh, On our Star Trek podcast? Yes. Uh, In 1991, Michael Chiklis, it ran through 1996. Okay, so we got two more seasons. Uh, I'm going to talk about this crap. I got to revisit that show. Yeah, oh, I just rewatched The Shield. I've never um, seen The Shield all the way through, to be fair. Really? Yeah, which I have to do that as well. You should start from the beginning and go all the way through because, like, the. I think The Shield has the best final season. Mm-hmm. Of, and that sort of started the whole anti hero trajectory, it's, right? It's, it's a little. It's funny. Like, some of it holds up, some of it definitely does not. Mm. Um, but it did. Uh, you can see it's, it's trying a little hard in the first season, like trying to be cool as opposed to having good characters, but it really ended up having incredible storytelling, incredible uh, characters. And I think it's, it's sort of like Breaking Bad where mm. it, it got better as it went along. I mean, it started out good for sure. And then became truly great. And that, that last the the suspense of the last final season, which basically just becomes one long like twelve hour movie, right. it's not even it's 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 not episodic anymore. It is very much like we are. Um, you can feel them like tripping and tripping and tripping, and then like things spiraling out of control, and it's really exciting. Uh, anyway, uh, the shield the, the podcast we're not doing because we're talking about shadow play, which was uh, oh wait I, I almost forgot the hard we, we forgot news. the hard news yeah. It's time to talk about the hard news from uh, this week's weekly world news headlines. And this week, a big I'm surprised they were able to finish production of this episode because an L.A. quake opens the gates of hell. Mm. Um, big doings. <laughs> big swing. Lots going on. Big scoop big, for them. Big scoop. Really big scoop. Uh, I'm surprised there wasn't more, more mainstream coverage because uh, apparently demons escaped from a crack in the California freeway. I mean, Keith, you have to say, I mean, you do a lot of uh, graphic work. Working for the Weekly World News must have been just a, an effing treat. I mean, oh look my. at that little monster on a jet ski. <laughs> that is just tickles everything in me. It's... <clears throat> I would I would work there for free. Yeah. I would 100%. I think... I think most people probably did. <laughs> probably did. 
I don't know. I think I think it was profitable back in the day. I I who knows? I mean, now it's just the internet where it wasn't like, you know, oh, cute, fun, a little diversion while you're in the uh, checkout line. Now it's like, you know, burning down our entire country. Yeah. But whatever. Uh, now it's freaking QAnon. We went from like coupons to QAnon. It's not QAnon. 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 <laughs> QAnon. That's when the Jenny Six gets together and they uh, they have one. It's, that's QAnon. No, that's just like, it's just like Twitter now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway. Uh, let's talk about this episode. Yeah. This episode uh, was directed by Robert Shearer. This was uh, Shearer's only episode of Deep Space Nine, though he did one of Voyager and 11 of The Next Generation. And it was written by Robert Hewitt Wolf, who last wrote on Second Sight. Which means it's time for some trivial trivia, Mike. Oh, yeah, I got a button for this, too. Yeah, you do. Now, Keith, waste your time with trivial trivia. So in this episode, uh, O'Brien mentions being a musician. Yeah, plays a cello. Uh, and, and yes, he mentions playing the cello pretty seriously. And uh, those Next Generation fans of the endless classical music concerts on the show, which, you know, look, I'm a classical musician. I'm on board. Uh, he played cello on the Next Generation. So uh, that actually did play out. It is an interesting character beat. We'll talk more about it later. The village set that we uh, see here was reused from The Next Generation. The episode Thine Own Self, which aired just the week before. So some smart production over there at Paramount. They're like, hey, we got a village set. You want to set an episode on on another village? We're like, hell yeah. And uh, it allowed them to save some money. And I think it showed up on screen. Like, it looked good. The, uh, oh, okay. So Kenneth Mars... Uh, who plays Coleus, is, uh, was actually in The Little Mermaid with Renee, second other cast member from The Little Mermaid. Any guess who uh, Kenneth Mars played? Seagull? No, he played King Triton. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, which was, uh, it's interesting. And also, as, as the, the world... dovetails together they were both the primary antagonists in police academy movies in police academy five and six they were the primary antagonists oh they were so good the uh and lastly uh noli thornton the little girl also played clara sutter on the next generation imaginary friend you'll see You'll see this on track a lot. They find a kid actor that is really good. They're like, all right, we'll put a little goober on your forehead, and now you're going to be in another episode. Because uh, she was excellent. She was excellent uh, and was and was good in Imaginary Friend. Mike, do you have anything from the Star Trek Deep Space Nine companion? K&M proudly presents Tales from the Deep Space Nine companion. I don't know what's happening. Just <laughs> thought I'd try it. I tried that. Really out. thought that one through. <laughs> I thought it was gonna be more echoey. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the echo. It was nice. Okay, good. Um, this uh, clearly they enjoyed this because this got a full two-page spread. Um, I'll try to do just a couple of pop in and pop outs. First thing they show us is a. Uh, they wanted to get the size of the the machinery correctly, so you can see an early rendering here of uh, what they wanted the scale of Odo next to that cool machine to be. 
And I tell you what, that machine looks very evocative of um, Transformers. Uh, not well, yes, Transformers, but the the uh, the new RoboCop, oh, yeah. the, the 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 replacement in the the original RoboCop movie. Yeah. All right. So let's see uh, here if I can pull out any nuggets. Shadowplay featured three separate storylines and some memorable moments between Odo and a little girl who turns out to be a hologram. But if you ask crew members what their favorite part of the episode was, chances are you'll hear hear just two words, Ken Toby. If the name is unfamiliar, you're probably not a baby boomer. Either that or you missed out on a few classic science fiction films. I love Ken, says Iris Stephen Bear. He's a sweet, sweet man. I've always liked his work and I've always wanted to use him. It's great to finally have him in a Star Trek in a science fiction setting. Dan Curry second that on motion. I was wonderful. Uh, it was one. I cannot read today. It was wonderful for us because we're all science fiction fans, and he was in the great ones like The Thing, and it came from beneath the sea. As with most television, the original The Thing. Yes, as with most television series, the casting process for Deep Space Nine generally involves sessions where numerous actors read lines in front of a director and various producers. When Bear is involved in the casting sessions, observes Robert Hewitt Wolf. Odds are that a selection will include character actors who've been in the business for some time. Ira's a big fan of actors who really have their craft down and have been in some of his favorite movies, says Wolf, writer of the episode. Wolf's uh, blah, 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 blah. The spark that inspired the episode early, its earliest version, was a conversation between Wolf and Bear about a virtual about virtual reality, Ira said. Mm. How scary is it going to be in the future when you won't be able to tell what's real and what isn't? Keith, this is bizarrely prescient because this week, I forget the name of the, there's the chat AI. Uh, we've seen all of the sort of creative AI, which uses AI to generate new work, artistic work, uh, right. using uncredited art, right? That's found throughout the internet. So it's not it's not being genera- generated entirely from nothing. It is on the backs of humans still. So that's, but this chat AI, you just type in a prompt and it will like write essays for you. It's it's insanity. Oh boy, we are about to cross a line, yeah. folks. We're, well, we're not fact, ready for M- it. MKHB does a does his latest, one of his latest videos on YouTube. I'm sure you're subscribed. He's the biggest thing on YouTube. Um, did a thing called "Can AI Replace Me?" and he does a whole ten-minute screed on why he can never be replaced, why human creators can never be replaced. And then at the end of the video, he flips it and lets you know, "Hey, just so you know, AI generated the entire script for this video, and I just read it." That's crazy. It you is know, crazy town. I was on his show. Remember? I do remember. Uh, anyway, so the original version was, "How scary it will be to be in the future when you won't be able to tell what's real and what isn't." From that conversation, Wolf generated a story in which O'Brien and Dax get into a place that is virtual reality prison. They escape, but realize, but then realize they're still inside. Then they escape again. And I wanted to use the tag where Keiko was telling O'Brien how good it was for him to be back, and O'Brien kept saying, I don't know whether I'm back or not. I'm never going to know. Fade to black. Keith, where's that episode? Uh, well, there are several episodes that are that-ish. Okay, I'm excited. Bear agrees. The final version of the script seemed just okay. Luckily, the filmed version had considerably more impact. When we saw it, we said, you know what? You put Odo together with a kid, and you got a winner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, skipping around. Besides the use of Ken Toby and another respected actor, Kenneth Marsh, Mars, the episode is noteworthy for being one of the few ABC shows featuring not only a B storyline, but a C storyline as well. Uh, although either sub- subordinate stories could have been dropped if the production ran into timing problems, Wolf points out that all three threads are actually very thematically related. They're all about the unreality of appearances. Everyone would think Jake would want to be a Starfleet guy, but he doesn't. 
You'd think Baral was on the station to see Kira, but the truth is Quark lured him there. Lured him there. And then there's the girl, who seems real, but isn't. Uh, we learn some things for the lore. O'Brien plays cello, blah, blah, blah. O'Brien's, we've also learned O'Brien's designation as senior chief specialist. It's one thing that we haven't actually, hasn't been used before and is never used after. We were attempting to come up with a rank equivalent to chief petty officer. Since no one liked that term, I actually called the Navy information office. And the problem is, is that he's been in Starfleet for a long time and probably is the second highest ranking you can have and still be an enlisted guy. So we were trying to come up with a rank that sounds like that. And I don't think we were completely successful. So we just ignored it. Wow. That's something. Well, there you go. Uh, Odo's line. This is my favorite tidbit, Keith. Um, I just got a few more things. Sorry, it's taking a while, but it's very interesting. Uh, Odo's line, I don't do faces very well, Trivels the, tr- triggers the eternal question, why not? Since the writers hadn't pinned mm. down a definitive answer, Rene uh, was able to come up with one on his own. Rene says, if there's something for Odo to replicate that has a prototype, like a rat or a knapsack or a chair, he can replicate it exactly, says the actor. But because he is searching for his identity, even beyond the fact that by this third season he knows where he comes from, he cannot create a face for himself. It's an identity problem for Odo because he is a character Mm. who believes in the strictest sense of the word in telling the truth. And Rene says, and because I believe I could make a face for him like Paul Newman or Quark, but he can't create something that he doesn't understand and he doesn't understand himself yet. Oh, I love that. Isn't that awesome? I love that. And and, and I also think it would be a... I would imagine there's got to be some level of resistance to his, the, the you know, that his his father, so to speak, because he replicates replicates him up into a point, and I think it's almost like I wouldn't want to give him the satisfaction, right, of completing that that purpose as well. And the last um, tidbit in there I want to share real quick um, it, 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 that I thought was a fun story. It's they take up a whole page to tell it, but it's basically this. So they'd set up all the VXF shots, VFX shots. And the big one was the the big Odo spin at the end. And they figured they would need him to turn about three times in the shoot in order so they could like composite together the spin. Have you heard this story? No. Okay, so for, for whatever reason, just dumb luck. So they set up the whole shot, dumb luck. They don't get what they need, right? They Like something broke, whatever. They have to have Renee do it again. Uh, so they, they plan it for the end of the, the shoot process. He comes in to do it again, but he had an inner ear infection that day, and, he, oh, no. and he, couldn't, he couldn't turn. So he's only able to give them half a turn. He turns like 15 degrees, and they have to use that to composite like a whole like 360 thing. So a shot that was supposed to take, like they were supposed to, a setup they were supposed to be able to do, that it took him like three weeks to do it because he could only turn this much. That's funny. So there you go, Keith. That's our full trivial trivia this week. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, there, there we go. Uh, we're, we're doing it now. Uh, so, but before we start talking about this episode, or we get into the episode proper, we have to talk about what was Next Generation doing? Well, folks, they were doing masks. And the less said about that, the better. Okay. The guest stars uh, this week were, as you mentioned, Kenneth Mars as Coleus, Kenneth Toby as Rurigan, Noli Thornton as Taya, and Philip Anglum back as Vedic Brile. What do you say we hop into this screening room and talk through the episode? Now keep wasting time ba, 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 with everything ba, 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 in your ears. Ba, 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 it's a kitchen sink episode. Ba, 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 I'm so sorry, everyone, especially those of you wearing headphones. Like me. I mean, this was sort of a kitchen sink episode, to be fair. 
Like legit. Well, they, they we covered a lot of ground. Yep. We do no, I meant the, a lot deep, of the Deep Space Nine episode. That was that was kitchen sink. They were like, yeah, throw anything we got left over in there. That's what I'm saying. The episode covers a lot of ground. All right, so in our teaser, Odo and Dax oh, well, have headed yo, off. Time. Relax. Whoa, whoa. I can open the curtain, brah. Oh, okay. for goodness sakes. <laughs> so Odo and Dax has headed off, have headed off to the Gamma Quadrant to investigate weird readings on a planet. Dax gossips, and Odo doesn't get it. Or true love. Dax says that a Bolian woman has a crush on Odo. Odo doesn't think women like him. And we reinforce uh, once again that Odo is a virgin, which is interesting for the character. They find Omicron particles on the planet. Oh, boy. What's wrong, Mike? Uh, it's a little too soon, Keith. <laughs> a little too soon about Omicron? Yeah. Oh, oh God, right. I, I literally didn't even oh, think about I it. I thought about it. Every time they said it, I was like, no. Oh, it's about wow. the virtual reality fooling us all and Omicron taking over. So I was it like, is, I can't, I can't handle it. It is quite literally, uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, villagers disappearing. Yeah. Yikes. Okay. So anyway, we're just going to set that aside. I go to my science fiction to escape, Keith. Uh, this was science fiction when it aired. <laughs> they uh, decide to beam down for a closer look. They arrive at a little town and discover. Nice. Uh, I, I love the, the runabout yeah. composites there. It looks beautiful. Um, they arrive at a little town and discover a big gizmo in the town square. Uh, but nobody's there. But then, uh-oh, they're caught by a dude holding a phaser. And uh, that's our teaser. That's it. So we don't really know much going into... I actually thought the little the, the back and forth between them here was very cute. Like they, I have to say, I, I'm really impressed with... We talked about this a lot, but what's the actress who plays Dax again? I'm sorry. That's your job. My job's, I just live in the fiction. Michael, we're we're in season two. I'm living in the fiction, D. 30 episodes, Terry Farrell. Yeah, Terry. She, they like, they they write Dax. She's gotten more comedic lately Mm -hmm. and uh, nailing it. Everything they throw her way just knocks it out of the park. Well, I feel like they're finally starting to figure out who the character is. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and part of that is getting to know Terry better. Yeah. I mean, she, she had acted before, um, but she wasn't this wildly experienced actor who was, you know, they sort of took her in as a model primarily. We haven't seen this team up either, really. Odo Dex. Not extensively, no. I mean, to, it's a great away team because think about the years of experience here. It's, oh. it's the, this is an experienced crew. Yeah, although although I hope they told somebody where they were going. We talked about this last week. I hope they left a breadcrumb. Yeah, I mean, I you know, send a text say I'm I'm going to the Omicron planet. So uh, we we abandon the guy with the phaser because we head back to the station to begin Act One, and Quark sits alone in his closed bar. Keith, that looks mighty familiar. It sure. Well, no, that's that's the that's uh, Dabo. That's Dabo, not Tonga. We'll we'll see it. Uh, check out uh, Keith and Mike. No, look at my Star Trek toys. Whew. Wow, I am not here yet. Me neither, dude. I'm we're we're struggling, but we're okay. We're working on. We it. are on the struggle bus, but we're doing it. <laughs> um, so uh, Kira shows up. She says she's foiled a, foiled a plot with Quark's cousin, and says you're not getting anything, getting away with anything with Odo gone. 
Then she says she despises him because A, he collaborated with the Cardassians, cheats on his customers, and is a danger to the station. Yeah, actually, those are all pretty good reasons. I, I don't disagree with any of that. But it's like we're back on that train where we're like re we we're reframing how we feel about Quark all the time. Like we always like ha 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 let him go. He does all the stuff. Like he's she's not wrong, but just last it wasn't last week or two weeks ago we were like all having a drink together and laughing and like let's raise one for our departed crew members. Ha 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 ha. And now she's like I fucking hate you. Die. I've got my eye on she her her her. Her aggression towards him felt tonally inconsistent with where we've been, to me. Well, I, I think tonal inconsistency is definitely true with Quark. Mm -hmm. Because we play Quark as a comedic character. We play the Ferengis as like, oh, those, those scamps, those rascals. And yet their actual consequences of Quark's actions thus far in the series have been pretty dire. And uh, certainly, if you're responsible for the security of the station, it wouldn't be a scamp to me. He's an absolute liability. Whether or not, you know, he's certainly not all bad, mm -hmm. but the consequences He's helped them quite a of, bit. He saved their oh, asses sure. a few times. Many times. And, like, I, I would like him personally, but the, uh, the danger that he presents and the cavalierness at which he takes risks with everybody else's life... Uh, I'd have a problem with. And so it is inconsistent the way the show handles it, handles it. But I think Kira's points here are all pretty well taken. Yeah, you can't you can't argue them. No. Uh, so then we head to Cisco's quarters, and Ben tries to convince Jake to get a job other than modeling their fancy jammies. Uh, I, I love planning on Mike Watches Deep Space Nine. What? Keith's going to mention in his uh, his write-ups, <laughs> and I'm getting pretty good at it because I was like, I "Oh, Keith's going to Keith's going to he's going to rage on these jammies." Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Jake wants to work at Quarks, but Ben wants him to assist O'Brien. He wants him to learn engineering to help him get into Starfleet. Uh, I, I can imagine we're all going like, "Uh oh, <laughs> yeah." <laughs> so <laughs> little telegraphed, but I, I will say, as much as the teaser and the first act. I was like, yeah, okay, this is pretty paint by numbers. I know where all these storylines are going. I don't, I, but it, it doesn't do that. They, they definitely defy expectation. This episode, I feel. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think it. Uh, I, I agree with you. Like at the beginning of this episode, it feels like, oh, we're gonna have another dumb, dumb villagers episode. Mm -hmm. I hate dumb, dumb villagers episodes, um, and usual quark shenanigans. But you're right. All of these things go... And you don't always have to defy expectations. Like, this episode also shows, even if you go exactly down the road, if you can implant incredible scenes and really great exchanges and good acting, then okay. Then I'm fo well, I, I'll follow I, you wherever I, you want to go. I, I think that's it. Because I don't think any of these stories go in a particularly surprising fashion, mm -hmm. but I think they find surprising depth. Yes. In each of these stories. I think that's really what, what makes this, you know, not your just run-of-the-mill episode. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, let's continue. On the planet, Odo and Dax are investigated by the town sheriff. He's, Keith, we have they, entered totally into a future community theater production of Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Uh-huh. Yep, that's exactly what's happening. Uh, yeah. 
where everybody's wearing the same ridiculous costume and beads and like everybody's white. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's clearly a community theater production in Vermont. Ha! So, <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, so the sheriff thinks they're not up to anything nefarious. Or Odo says, I'm not up to anything nefarious. And he proves it by beaming himself out of the room, thus proving he can leave anytime he wants. So I'm only being interrogated by my choice, big dick energy doing the beam out. So here's here's where there's we we lose ourselves a little bit here because the sheriff is dazzled. Like he's never seen a transporter before. He literally does one of these. What what what? Where did he go? Uh but later uh we're going to get into him. So uh when Odo returns, he says, "Look, we've lost 22 people in this town and they've disappeared and we can't figure out why." Uh, possibly it's hard to think because of all the head beads, but he's a, uh, he's a jovial guy and they've never had a real crime problem. Then he says he'd already checked if the missing people had been transported off. So he knows about transporters. Mm. Transporters were like a, an obvious thing. So he, so, so we, we, he reacts to a transporter like a Looney Tune cartoon character. And this is like, oh, I know what a transporter is. It's you know, it was very strange. Anyway, uh, poor guy's stuck, and Odo offers to help the investigation. Or as I wrote very quickly without spell check, invest ification. Investification. That's, that's 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 something you find on the deep web, Keith. I I I don't even know what nope. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the other townspeople gather in their matching robes and beads, and they go out, they go to an old guy named I'll tell you this, Rudigan. if I was to be inventing a holographic universe to live in, Keith, it'd be much mm-hmm. more comfortable than this. Uh, it's too much jewelry. You know what I mean? I'd be, I give, mean, me, give me like a onesie or like maybe some sweats and like a tank. So are you saying that you want the the, uh, the Cisco jammies? Hell yeah. I mean, honestly, I think the robes, I like, if you remove the beads, right? No, there's it, too it many robes. Like, like if you want to do like, like, a ta- like, a, like, a, like a toga kind of thing, great. But they're wearing like, they got an, an under robe, a middle robe, a top robe, a little stocking cap, some beads to put on. It depends on how insecure you are with holograms judging you. Because mm-hmm. like that, just like it's all sort of ambiguous down there. Uh, but if you're like, hey, holograms, I program you not to be judgy. I'm like, woo. Yeah, right, that's so, true. Uh, just, just think it through. Anyway, uh, I don't know what's happening. They go to Root again. Ebenezer, you will be visited by three spirits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, the, the spirits are disappearing. Uh, yeah. And he's apparently his daughter was the most recent person to disappear. Dax tries to scan, but uh, the Omicron particles are blocking her tricorder, so they give them theirs, which apparently works. Well, giving Omicron's very easy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So Odo wants to talk to the last person who saw Rudigan's daughter, and it turns out to be his young granddaughter. And she's afraid to to talk to Odo, but then he starts asking questions, which brings us to Act 2. Uh, yeah, so she's got, she's, she's scared of Odo, but we don't quite know why yet. Uh, and 
and of course at this point they're like, eh, just let's wait till the morning. Mm-hmm. A, how do you know that like Odo and Dax want to stay overnight? And B, how do you know that this problem isn't like, like why the like, people your daughter literally disappeared? Like, eh, let's take a twelve. Well, I think that I'm. I, it's clear to me that Odo clocks this guy's like the questionable uh, urgency in the yeah. stakes. Yeah, and, and I guess I guess from Rudigan's point of view, he thinks it's a fait accompli, so he doesn't. There's no particularly particular hurry for him. Yeah, it doesn't really really matter. Like, yeah, I guess I guess that does make it didn't it didn't make sense out of the context of knowing his story, but in the context of knowing his story, I guess it does make sense. So in Act Two, we head to Ops, and Ben brings Jake to talk to O'Brien, and he gives his son his first communicator and looks very proud. It's like he got his first cell phone. Yeah, it's really it's a it's a great moment for both of them. Yeah, it, it is a great moment. Um, meanwhile, Kira tries to get Bashir to spy on Quark. He's excited. <laughs> Look at that picture. <laughs> Oh, Hell yeah! If you're if you're just watching this or just listening to this, you're missing an amazing screenshot right now. He is pumped because his boyfriend Garrick has been tre- teaching him surveillance, and he wants to get into that. Then, uh oh, Vedic Barile shows up. He's and there to lays it on a little thick, and Kira is a little daft. Hey. I'm going to give a speech. You want to join me? And she's like, sure. I'm, oh man. Well, I mean, she's, hey, she's on board. Like he's gross to me, but to her, you know. Yeah. I mean, well, maybe, fine. you know, it's like if, if the Pope was like laying on the, the moves, it would take you a while to pick up maybe. Well, I mean, look, the Pope, Pope's a good looking dude, you know, and, uh, yeah, so what I wrote is he sort of gave a speech, but really just wants to go to Pound Town with Kira. Quark, seeing her distracted, knows I can go pull some shiz now. Yeah. So we head back to the planet, and Odo goes to talk to the little girl. She asks him what his deal is, and he explains that he's a shapeshifter. She says, you're a changeling. But they're just make-believe. She asks him to prove it, but he wants to ask more questions. And they have a kind of heartbreaking conversation about people exploiting him for his shape-shifting tricks and not really caring about him as a kid. And uh, she... As being, hair shivs. As, uh, with her hair shivs, uh, working very carefully not to turn her head quickly and murder somebody, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, posits that they uh, treated him that way because they were frightened of him being the wisest 10-year-old in the world. Uh, They bond over their dead or missing or unknown parents. And she says her mother wasn't acting strange before she disappeared. And then she says nobody ever leaves the valley. Uh, And I wrote that the little girl does a terrific job as a kid actor in this Oh, I thought this scene was... Now, you know, it's it's kind of a combo because... Clearly, it's shot in tight, tight close-up, so it's a composite scene. Like they, I think they did picks and chooses of the best takes and and pop. That's what they generally do. But this was really tight. <laughs> um, I do that with everybody, but yeah. yeah. But I thought that it not only is a great performance by her. So what I'm, I guess, what I mean is that it's hard to say for sure that this was shot 
that all of it was shot on location with Renee. It could have been, you know, they could have comped in or whatnot. It feels like it was. It feels all unified. I bet they would. And I, 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 I've never met, I've never met Renee. I don't know Renee for anything, but I know his reputation is one of sort of like acting and artistic integrity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I feel like it would be important to him to show up yeah, for that. Well, girl. and and that you know some of those tidbits from the companion seem to echo that. Whereas they felt that in places where they needed some backstory and they couldn't come up with something, they pitched to Renee and they took his suggestions and they well, used a, it. A very yeah. thoughtful and professional. And actor I think with I guess my point is that I feel like his presence elevated this little girl's performance because. Both scenes they have, both of these sort of one-on-one -on -one scenes they have in this episode are yeah. absolutely breathtaking. I couldn't even come up with anything quippy to say. I just was sort of no. in the moment because it's they're really great and heartbreaking. And you get a feeling of that despair in Odo. And mm. when he goes to those places where he's talking about his parents or his identity or his, up, his upbringing, I guess, uh, his – foundling years he um he seems almost childlike and yes. so it made this scene very feel very peer-based in fact she at times seemed like the wiser of the two and yeah. it really just made for a really compelling scene well and I, I think that is um one of the one of the ways to relate to children well and that is to put yourselves at their level. And he does it physically and emotionally. He, he kneels down so that they're eye to eye, first off, and then really just sort of inhabits, meets her exactly where she is. And I think that that is um, just a good way to communicate with anybody, right? But also, um, it's clear, it seems clear, and I, I guess there's no way to know this, but it feels like Renee likes kids. Mm -hmm. and gets kids and or you know or at the very least he does a very good job of telling the story that odo does mm -hmm. um and i think there's you know for odo i think that he probably trusts kids in a way that he doesn't trust adults um having you know having developed all this mistrust by how he was treated by this, that the other thing feeling like a kid with adults being exploiting exploiting them and then working with kids like he who haven't developed the ulterior motives and the uh, the darkness, there's an innocence there that I think allows him to let his guard down. Right. Um, which is uh, interesting and kind of heartbreaking. So, uh, but her, her point here about nobody ever leaving the valley is an important clue. So we head to act three in the replimat. Uh, O'Brien quizzes Jake on isolinear rods. And Jake is lost, but he admits he doesn't actually want to go to Starfleet. That's a great and, scene. And his father doesn't know. And O'Brien, uh, being O'Brien's awesome, he talks about his father wanting him to be a musician. And his father got him admitted to a fancy music school, but Miles didn't want to go. And he gives great advice about needing to uh, live your own life. Um, you know, important stuff. And it, it's interesting for me when I was 14, um, at this time, I was only a few years from being pressured to go to an elite music school that I didn't quite want to go to. 
Um, but I went. So, uh, it's funny. I had the same experience. I mean, it was, but it was less specific. Like it was clear looking back now that my parents directive was, and my parents came from very, you know, humble up, up, upbringings, but, um, it was, you grow up, you got to buy a house and you got to raise your kids to go to college. If your kids go to college, you won life. That was it. Mm. That was Mm. it. And so there was no nuance. There was no conversation. What are the things you enjoy, Mike? Where do you see your future? How can we help best get you there? Yeah. Uh, even my guidance counselor in high school, sorry to say, which their job is to provide that nuance, that context. No, there was no guidance. It was, okay, pick a college to go to. And then here are the tests you have to do good on. And then here's the places yeah. you can beg for money that you'll pay back the rest of your life. So yeah. uh, it was like, you know, sorry to be so negative about it, but my middle class uh, white neighborhood upbringing was basically uh, a death shoot for cattle and where you just sort of like funneled down one friggin' avenue <laughs> to the goddamn same life wow. everyone else lives. And God forbid yeah. you had even a remotely different thought or better than that, how about no idea? Because that's where I was. I didn't know what the yeah. fuck I wanted to do. I barely still do. But- Damned if everybody else didn't have a good idea. And it wasn't even like, this is what we want for you. This is, it was like, this is what you have to have so that we win life. Yeah, that's interesting. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Woo, Mike had some feelings <laughs> there. That wasn't good. No, I think that was good. No, no, no. Look, he was honest. And yeah. and I, I think a lot of people share that experience. Um, and I, I, we, I could talk for a long time about advocating a gap year or two between high school and college so you can figure out what you do want to do. You know, and it's 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 very interesting because it's it's different for me because I was um, very much encouraged to follow my dreams to you know to to go out there and like figure out what you love and do it. But there was a great deal of pressure to whatever you do, make sure it's special, mm-hmm. make sure it's elite, make sure it is um, fancy and like verifiably cool. <laughs> Um, and I don't think that wasn't in a, it was never necessarily said out loud, but it was certainly encouraged, um, to do something special. And, yep. uh, and so it was kind of quite literally the opposite, uh, cattle track, <laughs> but there was still a great deal of like, go here, do this thing. Um, win at life just in a different way. Uh, wow, we really went off on a tangent there. Uh, well, oh, yeah. let's so, just say we're glad Jake has a good support system. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, and that is exactly, Jake got exactly the, the right, um, parent modeling there from both O'Brien and his dad. Mm-hmm. I, I was really impressed by how Cisco handled it too. And speaking uh, of handling things well. Yes. Beryl keeps hitting on Kira. She hated his speech. He's the cool liberal priest, and she's more old school. But they decide to go on a spring ball date. So uh, they both played spring ball at their camps. Dude, the uh, best was, the best was, um, I was high as hell last night, just for, for those watching the episode. And um, right. I don't know, it tickled me so. And he's like, she's like, you play spring ball? And I was like, Oh, he played spring ball, baby! <laughs> wow. You want to uh, come back to my uh, Vedic pad and play some fucking spring ball, baby? Yeah. 
Ladies and gentlemen, nominees for best comedic bit. <laughs> Mike's attempted spring ball thing. <laughs> oh, Keith, this just in, we've lost. <laughs> We're now under a thousand subscribers. <laughs> There's nothing I enjoy more than the uh, well-timed use of dead air. <laughs> yes, but it's it's blatant that he's just like, could we shut up and bang, please? Oh, 100%. That is both of their subtext. He's like, I'm a very busy man with a lot of responsibilities back on, on world, and I've come all the way out here to this little floating rock. Could we just bang? Could you spring on these balls? That... <laughs> <laughs> So back on the planet, Odo uh, talks to the old guy whose daughter disappeared. <sighs> he asks why he doesn't seem to be invested in everyone disappearing. In anything. Or in anything. He's like, yeah, whatever. But then he says he can tell he's in a great deal of pain. Uh, lots of odd and immediate reversals in the writing here. Uh, he's like, you're not invested. You don't care. And I can tell you're it's... It's interesting. Um, and Rudigan admits he's dying. Odo then asks him why nobody has ever left the village and why the sheriff doesn't didn't think to search outside the valley for the missing people. But Rudigan guarantees that he won't find people outside of the valley. We're dropping clues right and left. Then Odo, Dax, and the little girl head out to explore the countryside. The girl tells a fable about tricking an evil changeling, uh, which was a it's a cute fable. It's it's there is one very similar to this. Um, I don't know if it's an Aesop or I I, I don't know which one they're referencing about turning yourself into a loaf of bread and then tricking and then be eating. But the, I, it's very familiar. There's something um, like that. Smarter people will tell me exactly which one that is. Well, I mean, it's got shades of Little Red Riding Hood too. It's a little right riding. There's something about like, you know, crawling into the crocodile's mouth. I don't know, something like that. Um, but uh, it is interesting that the little girl, her fable of the changelings are their bad guys. Mm -hmm. They're evil. Well, um, and I mean, that's just lore her... being pulled. I mean, whatever it's the, the seedling of the simulation was, was started from that dude, right? And his, whatever he came from to whatever their beliefs were are kind of infused in this, I would imagine. Right. So I would that, imagine that, that the AI is, well, we can talk about it later, but like the AI that's generating all of the stuff, is it just like internet wide? Is it using all information from all the internet? Or is it just a very specific subset of like what his culture knew and knows? Interesting. You know what I mean? I mean, I, yeah, I'd imagine it'd be based on his culture, but his culture is also infused by what's yeah. going on. I look at area. it very much like the game The Sims, which by this point, The Sims 4 has been out for like 15 years. So it's got an incredible amount of content and a really advanced simulation, but it's still what's available on the disc, right? It's not like pulling new information in from the internet every and like streaming right. in new stuff. So it's very, it's still a finite uh, yeah. data set. Um, all right. Anyway. Um, Hold on. Sorry. Just on that point, because it's so funny. Um, my niece plays The Sims, right? So I watch her simulation all the time because she's constantly playing. And one day I'm like, uh, I'm like, what's that thing following you around? Like she was walking around and she was like introducing me to everybody. I saw myself in her simulation and like I was hanging out. Jen was there. It was 
awesome and weird, but awesome. Creepy. But cool, I was like, right? what's that thing floating around following you? And she goes, oh, that's grandmom. I was like, what? She's like, yeah, she died, but she's a ghost and follows me around. And I was like, oh. <laughs> that was my reaction. I was like, what the fuck? Wow. It was like a Halloween expansion that like allowed ghosts, but like some, for some reason she had made such good friends with grandmom during the time period that like the ghost loves her, follows her around. And I was like, this is funny. And I don't know how I feel. All right, moving on. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, there, there it is. Damn uh, Dax's hair. It's like, oh yeah, she was a model. Bang. Boom. Yeah. That's, that's some like snooky pompadour she's got going on there. Uh, all right. So she and the little girl and Odo tease each other a bit, um, continuing to reinforce that they have great chemistry together. They reach an area that the girl has never traveled past. An odor Odo tells her to hang back while he and Dax keep walking further. Then the villager's tricorder disappears from Dax's hand. Then Taya gets too close and her hand disappears too, as do the berries she was holding. So I guess the berries were holographic too? Yeah, everything, I guess. Or that was a production, like underthought piece there um because i would imagine that okay let's let's say we know it's a holographic simulation why would you put something interesting right at the border right why would you put fake berries right at the border that seems like you'd put boring things there to try to dissuade people from walking Whatever. i don't think it matters right if there's a fail safe in the programming that says you don't cross this line that nothing's going to entice them past that I suppose that's yeah. I suppose that's true. I mean, if you put uh-huh. like a safe search filter on or something, it's even if I mean, clearly porn is interesting. People are going to Google it. But if you block what? it, it's blocked. Yeah. <laughs> what? You heard it here first. Mike and Douglas says porn is interesting. Porn is interesting. <laughs> yes. Uh, it needs more echo. It needs to be echoing more. Yeah. I, I feel like you, you got to dial that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, okay, so um, so apparent. So I think we learned two things here. One, they're a little bit ahead of ahead of the story. Odo and Dax are because they tell Taya to hang back. So they, I think, they had a suspicion of what was going on already. Um, but they were surprised by the uh, tricorder disappearing. Anyway. Uh, In Act 4, back in the center of the town, near the big gizmo, Dax explains what the deal is to the cop. She shows him uh, his his cloak is holographic, and so is he. The gizmo is a hollow projector, and everyone in town is a hologram and doesn't know it. And the gizmo is breaking down, which is why they have all started disappearing. Oh, wait, go, go back one. And you can see what the what the gizmo ended up being mm-hmm. in production versus what they had specced out. Yeah. Clearly, uh, this one cost half of what they'd specced out. Mm-hmm. Well, you can uh, see another cost-saving measure in a screenshot upcoming in the scene where he they tell the whole community what happened. They're like, yeah, 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 and that other scene that we didn't show, we proved it to everybody, and we had everybody disappear and come back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. Yes. Anyway, I still think it looks cool. I mean, it's a, it's a cool little future-looking gizmo. So, uh, back at the station, Kira has kicked Boreal's ass at Spring Ball, and they discuss their days in the refugee camps, which does add a subtext to all of this. 
Uh, it's definitely time to head down to Poundtown. And he mentions, uh, but before, before the hit, hit to the real spring ball, he mentions that the person who invited him to the station happens to owe Quark a bunch of money. And Kira realizes it's a setup. So back on the planet, the Hold villages- on. we have to talk about how kind of gross this scene was. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't, you, it's hard to sell make out dialogue. Yeah. I'm fine if you want to like super zoom your make out, I can take care of it. I can handle the mouth sounds, which I find oddly cringy. Sure. But don't have the mouth sounds and the close makeup and then dialogue interstitially is what's Quark doing? It, it, I like yeah. I honestly I I I agree with you that there's Kira and Barile, at there, least at this point. There's no in chemistry, this, dude. I think that's it. Yeah. I I I think it is it feels gross, but it, it shouldn't, right? Because they're both two wildly attractive people. Yeah, it's nothing like that. It's just like, it's There's, not, it's not it, jumping it off the screen. It shouldn't be gross, but just instinctually, I'm grossed out by it. I don't, I don't know why that is. It's, it's, it's hard to say why this feels, I think because he comes off as so smarmy. But he didn't initially, right? Like his first scene, I, his first episodes, like I thought he was respectful and laid back and like very zen. But this, he seems very forward, which is fine. They have a history, right? Right. And and but you they know, they make her sort of clueless. Yes. And, and then it feels I'll, like they they uh, dumb her down a little bit. It, maybe that's why it feels gross. Maybe the, it just the 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 cut the edit just didn't work. Either like you know I don't know. I, well, I, I, I think, but you know we both feel that way. Does that we are both, we wrong? We both do. Are we I don't wrong? think we're wrong. I, yeah. you know what I think it is. I think it is using his. I'm a very chill, cool priest, and um, I, I speak about big, important thoughts and beliefs, and trying to save Bajor, and then I'm going to use this very same voice and this tone Maybe. and this demeanor I think it's to try also to get like into your pants. Their relationship had been, the, the road it had been going on was very sort of, there's a lot of affection involved, and there was like, it wasn't just Poundtown style, whereas this episode, he, the second he steps foot on this episode, it is just like, directive to bang, right? And which feels a little gross. Especially when it's clear that she's elsewhere. Like, it could have been a cute scene somewhere if he just, like, she's talking during that, like, stuff about <clears throat> the speech or whatever. And he's just like, look, I gotta be honest with you. Like, you're running, you're running marathons in my brain. And I just, like, I'm here to see you. And I don't want to talk well, about any of this stuff. Like, that seems a little missing for me. It's just, I, I don't know. I, I, well, I, you know, the other thing I'm thinking it might be is this demeanor that he has mm -hmm. has no vulnerability. Yeah, maybe. He has absolutely, like, he's just like, I'm just cool, man. Like, whatever, bro. And, like, I'm the cool kid. And it's, like, it comes off sort of cult leadery and not. Wait, Barile, you lift, bro? Yeah, man. <laughs> totally lift. But I lift with my mind. Damn. With, with the prophets. Um, Barile. <laughs> Come on. Wait, what you doing, honey? Come over here. Yeah, yeah. Get over here. Hey. I got some what squats you can do. <laughs> we need to go forward here. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? What just happened? I don't know. 
<laughs> it was the um, most uncomfortable moment we've ever. Right, let's get back to the A plot here. Woo! Back on the planet, the villagers are villagers are hubbubbing very angrily because we they have the, we missed the scene entirely where they were just hubbub, showed hubbub, that hubbub, they're hubbub. fucking fake. Well, I mean, but we already did that scene. Yeah, cheaply, the, more cheap. We did we did it cheaper. Yeah. They have been clued in, but they're pissed. Dax says, so "You're saying you can change our clothes at any time? Any time? What? I don't have to wear these head beads. I don't have to stick beads in my ears and wear a chef's hat." <laughs> I mean, I could, this rat living underneath my hat that's making me cook food and controlling me doesn't need to be there? Yes, this guy looks very concerned about it. That's a uh, deep ratatouille cut. Mm, yeah, indeed. Uh, Dax says they need to shut down the system to fix it, uh, and hopefully they can get their missing folks back. And they're like, whoa. I mean, why aren't they like, yes, please. Uh, Taya tells Odo. that. Hold on, so it's yeah, it's actually really deep philosophically here, right? Okay. A, you're being told you're a simulation. A, okay. Yes. That's hard enough to gronk. It's going to mess with your head. B, if we just like reboot this machine, people can, we, we can get the people back. So, because your mortality is a different thing now. Everything you understand about mortality is radically different now. But on top of that, according to my understanding of the simulation, you will still die. We can't just reboot the machine every time you want to bring people back. This is only in this very unique situation. Uh, your people will still grow up and die, and you can't help it. Well, Correct? I mean, I guess. Well, they're yes, not immortal. I mean, I mean they she, they said no. people grow up and die. They they have babies. They they progress. So you're we're gonna bring your mom back, but she's gonna die in a couple years still. Well, yes. Well, I mean, boy, that because that, that just opens up like yeah. multiple cans of worms. Like, hey. Yeah. You know, the simulation element of it, right? You know, but also, like, do you want to be immortal? No, I don't That's know. Like, I don't know. What happens I, when Grandpa the, dies? Like, who's going to come back? And, like, did I thought for a second we might get a scene where they're like, hey, could you guys promise to come back every 30 years and, like, throw a new battery in the old machine? Yeah, well, that, that would make sense. Well, then when we get to wormholes, I want to, like, I need to, well, we'll get to, let's talk about it in wormholes because I have a big kind of philosophical wormhole. Which I think okay. is the point of the episode, but we'll talk about it. Okay, interesting. So uh, before they zap off and uh, the, before they reboot, control alt delete the village. Taya tells Odo his face isn't so scary anymore once you get used to it, and it's kind of sweet. Then Dax shuts down the projector, and the entire village disappears except for <sighs> the old guy. He's still there. Shocker. And he's real. I thought I loved that progression of shots. Right? So we have we This is we straight Photoshop, here. dude. Straight Photoshop layers. Oh absolutely. Mm -hmm. But but here's what I liked about it, right? So we have the people, the people disappear, then the village is there, then the village disappears. Right? Really cool layering. And then we have to sort of tilt the camera to get around. So we we put the camera on a dolly, then tilt around and see the guy there, which I thought that was a really cool mm -hmm. reveal. Um, and his first line is genius because none of us are shocked as an audience member. Like, we knew this was right. coming. Uh, but he says that to them, too. He goes, don't act surprised. You knew it. And it was awesome because it was very meta, but also in in canon. Yeah. Cool. I, li I, I liked that mm -hmm. progression really a lot. So in Act Five, Rudigan explains that he moved here and set up his CGI life after the Dominion took over his homeworld. 
and he has lived here for more than 30 years. So the Dominion, what I'm understanding from the Dominion thus far, from the very limited amounts of mentioning, this is the most information I've gotten from them. I've gotten that yep. they're sort of antagonists and nefarious from the Quark episodes with Negus and whatnot. But here, they're, it seems like they're world dominators, like they're taking over worlds. Yeah, well, they certainly took over his world. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're, we're certainly starting to, to hear the Dominion written in italics now. Um, may, maybe, Mike, something to keep an eye on. But also, like, how do you just... Okay, so we had, the, we had that one civilization. They were like, it was so difficult. We had to scan all these planets to, like, find them a place to live, even though they wanted to come to Bajor, but we had to find them a place. This guy just, like, found a world nobody was going to check in on? I guess there's tons of them. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you know, uh, space is real big. I know, man, but like, but it's just him, and he's old and feeble and infirmed. Can the can the holograms take care of him? Is he being cared for by holograms? Is that Probably. physically possible? Sure, why not? Are they fetching him real food? They're eating holographic food. What is he eating? Oh, that's a really good question. Well, he's he's probably eating replicated food. Is the medicine they're giving him as an infirmed person, like hologram medicine or real medicine? I'm sure it's real medicine. But how do the holograms provide that? How do they know? How do they know that he has different needs than they do? Well, well, they don't necessarily, he's probably got it programmed that when Mm. they give me food or when they give me medicine, replicate real stuff as opposed to the hologram. So when he kicks it, which he will because he's mortal, they're fucked. Right. But I guess at that point... So they'll just they'll just keep going until the thing breaks down. Yeah, but that's the next question. That's the Phil. That's the question, right? So they go. We're about to get to the scene. So I'll just say it here. Where Odo convinces him, well, because he's like, don't even bother turning the machine on. Just like bring me back. Let me live out my days. Right. It was all bullshit. And Odo convinces him it's not bullshit. If you feel for them, if your emotions are real for them, if you love that little girl like I do, she's real. Right. And we right. get it. Great. Sure. But once he dies, nobody loves her. So is she still real? Yeah, okay. I I, th- I think that's uh, that that is the. So well, when my I mean, when my our, niece when my niece gets a little too old and decides she moves on to a different game and doesn't want to play Sims anymore, are those that family right. in there is that still that's still important? Well, that's the difference: self awareness and sentience. I and and like it is artificial life. Life. This is a Star Trek debate that's happened, you know, forever and forever. It's Turing, baby. But but in but in this case. And and we do this, the, you know, there's a holographic character on Voyager. I mean, the Doctor is a hologram. Uh, and he's a major character on the show. Well, data counts. I mean, data's the same thing. Data, right? of yeah. course. Yeah, so I, I, I think once you have sentience, then you're real. Then you're life. And I, and I think in this case, and so for him, he's like... Well, did, they, did these people have sentience before they knew the, the, the essence of their existence? I think so. Do we really know the essence of our existence? I don't think we do. So, and I, I would consider us sentient. So, why? See, why this aren't is they? what this conversation is. What makes a great episode? Yeah. If you can facilitate the conversation without eye rolls, which is what I think it does. I think it's yeah. why it's effective, which we'll talk about in five minutes. No, a hundred percent. You know, and in terms of maintaining the machine, they can maintain their own machine. Can they? I guess I'm still like not 100% clear on like the facility of the hologram things that exist in the hollow suite. Well, the they 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 know so whatever so, the machine so, tells them. So you them. could Keith go into one of Quark's little holodecks. Right. And live there the rest of your life. 
Yeah. So when you shat, what happens to that? Well, the same thing, whatever happens to the, when you shit on the Enterprise, like it gets, uh, who knows? It's a, mis- it's, it's, it is a like mystery. Like in all those, in all those hologram episodes, what we never discuss is what happens when they're just peeing? Are they peeing into like a hologram toilet? So they're just pissing in the corner of the holosuite? Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. So, but, but that's. <laughs> so like, someone, so Nog rolls in there at night and just cleans up human shit. And shit is probably the best thing he could have cleaned up because we know what goes on in there. So there you go, folks. When you really boil it down, Mike wants to know who's cleaning up this gook. Well, I mean, look, that is a that that is we are not the first to have yeah. asked that question. Uh, and I've always wondered, like, do they beam the shit out into space? I I I think they. There's, I have a joke, and I got fired about that. Um, I I think it is you know reclaimed as matter and they turn it back into other things they're able to like you know beam it into a thing and then turn it into another thing it's star trek man don't worry about where the poop goes all right there's no poop in star trek it's the it's the least of our concerns it is unless you're the one picking it up uh yeah right so uh rudigan after explaining he's been here for 30 years he says it's all over and he wants to go back to his home world and Odo asks what happens to Taya and the villagers, like you said. And he advocates for them being alive and worthy of existing. Rudigan breaks down and admits he loves Taya. In a kind of a heartbreaking scene, Odo convinces him not to turn his back on them. Um, really well performed here. Uh, so we head back to the station and Jake goes to talk to his dad. He needs to have an uncomfortable conversation. He says... I don't want to join Starfleet, and I never did. And I want to find out who I am and live my own life. Uh, and, and Cisco is super cool about it. He's and like, he all right. says he says what every kid wants to hear from every parent in the whole wide fucking world. Parents, listen up. Find something you love to do, and do it the best you can. That's it. Moms That's and dads all- out there, if you learn anything. This Christmas season. Yeah. Be like Ben. Find something you love to do and do it the best you can. You want to clean up poop in a hollow suite? Do you love doing it? Do it. Do it as best you can. There it is. Ah, good dadding. Yeah, great job. So we go to Quark's and Kira tells him, eh, I caught your cousin with a bunch of stolen bone carvings. Let's not pass up this incredible extra. Yeah. Uh, just because I was uh, carving some bone doesn't mean that I'm not going to catch your cousin selling other stolen bones. And, uh, but she's like, thanks for the, uh, diversion. Because, uh, she had her cake and ate it too. So, on the planet, Dax is ready to reactivate the holographic system. And Rudiger asks them not to tell the villagers that he's not a hologram as well. They all come back, including the missing people. All is well. That's a great composite. Yeah, it really is. I mean, con- you know, again, considering when that was done. This is 1994. You couldn't just Photoshop it. Um, the cop thanks Odo, and Taya comes up to say goodbye. She says she'll miss him and hopes he'll find his parents, too. It's meaningful for Odo. And he proves that he's a changeling 
by, like we mentioned, spinning himself into a top. With an inner ear infection. With an inner ear infection. And just as he beams out, we see the rare, miraculous Odo smile. You can actually see how bad this effect shot ended up being. Like that, you can. it's just not good. And you can tell, look where Dax is looking. Look where the two right. main characters are looking. Not even close. It's, it's, it's framed oh, incorrectly. He's clearly in front. He's clearly yep. composited it on top. On a, on a green and screen. And then they just yep. like, they had to cat because he couldn't spin. So that's as much as they could give him in person form. And then they had to go right. You Which see his- I don't understand why. Just put put a stunt. He's wearing a facial yeah, mask uh, and all that kind of I stuff. I think they thought maybe they could use some of the the background from the initial shot, you know? Yeah. It was because they had to do it at the end of they they decided to save the shot till the end of the filming, so they only had 2 days to do it and I'm sure yeah, they had a lot else second. to do. But I'm um, sure he's got a stand-in. Yeah, it's weird, but it's yeah. it's a funny. It, you know, and, at and that like, point, I mean the, the moment is earned, so it doesn't matter at all, yeah. but it's just funny to talk about. Mike, did you know, speaking of Odo's mask and stand-ins and such, that uh, unlike Quark, where they reused the same appliance every time, or, you know, tried to, Odo's mask was done new every single time they shot. I did not know that. So one of the things that he did is when he was able to pull it off all in one piece, he saved it and auctioned him off for charity. Interesting. So Great you idea. Can actually, you can actually go and get one of Odo's screen-used uh, masks. Keith, what I loved about this episode, I mean, a lot of things, but one thing, like a a Mike Easter egg for me, was the ending of this episode was almost a direct Quantum Leap nod. Because they they finished what they came to do, and then they they leap out. They leap out with a smile. It's, uh, yeah. It's great. All right, folks. Well, it is almost time to come along home, but we can't come along home until Mike has taken... His quiz, it might help you get into Starfleet. And now it's time for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek Vocabulary Quiz. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mike. uh, Now realizing how you took all of this this is even funnier. Mike, what's what's an Omicron particle? Well, Keith, I guess... The droplets, uh, yo. It's the droplets that keep an AI sentience alive. I guess it's like the stuff that the fiber of the makeup of their being. Yeah, I guess I guess it's some sort of equivalent of photonic yeah, particles. Like particle, yeah. And uh, all right, next one. This one's easy. Mike, what's an isolinear rod? Oh, Keith, it's like a goo that carries information and data, and it's so hard to memorize all of them. But you need to know it for Starfleet. Uh, except for it's a rod. It's like the yeah, but it's I, in I, the in the rod form. Yeah, whatever. I don't think it's goo. Oh, what's the stuff that he, they were, him and Jake were like looking at? What are those things are called? Uh, well, that's what they were looking at, the isolinear rods. But I, I think they're more equivalent to like flash drives. Yeah, but they're goo inside of a vial, no? I thought there was I goo in there, like a liquid. It looks like a liquid to me. It does look. Maybe there is. I, I know that the isolinear chips don't have goo. Maybe the rod. Maybe the rods do. Somebody smart Somebody will us. tell us. Let yeah. us know. Somebody will tell us. All right, let's come along home. Right, we're here in Quark. You have been diverted with your creepy boyfriend, 
it is now time to discuss. Were there any wormholes in the plot, Mike? Well, I think the um, there's some some like I think script wormholes in the that first scene with uh, the comedic watcher of the planet and Odo and Dax because he doesn't know about replication, but he does. Or he doesn't. I mean, I guess you could try to explain this away by saying it's like just glitches in the the AI data or something like that. But I think it's just bad wormholes in the script, personally. Yeah. Um, and then for me, the more interesting sort of, I don't know if it's a wormhole. I mean, it's, I'm trying to avoid the direct philosophical quandaries of AI sentience and like, what does that mean? And, and all of that for later in the conversation. But I mean, just like the specifics of this setup for the guy, right? Because the, the, he didn't just like, he didn't just set up the AI or did he just set up the simulation and just has let it run all these years with yes. n- with no direct influence? So he hasn't like tinkered. He has. There's no upkeep. He's just kind of been part and parcel. It's it seems like that's the way. Yeah, he just he set it up to run as a simulation, and just things happen and things happen. Yeah, it seems like a lot of. Let's see, but like doing it that way, allowing it to happen naturally is why it's real to him. Yeah. Because if he were, if he were, you know, playing the, you know, fixing things here and there, it wouldn't be real. Yeah, and I guess that that, you know, it, it's like, um, you, you know, the easiest direct comparison I can make is, you know, like when you're doing a, a tour or a play or something. Uh, this is hard. The audience is going to really know what I'm saying, but it's very similar in that you're so immersed in this world in this in this fiction that you're creating in these people that you're working with and you don't you know you go home and you basically live with them and then you go back to work the next day and it becomes the center and so all the drama that's happening in the cast or whatnot becomes very important and right. and it's all about that and then the second the show's over and you go back to your regular life you realize oh none of that was real really <laughs> like yeah it seems sure. so important in that matrix but it, it, this there were no stakes outside of that it's just a play you're doing every day like yeah 100 um, percent. so i imagine well, that I mean, that's but, very similar to this guy's experience and and i but i don't i don't think that's unique to theater like uh you've ever been to camp yeah right camp or high is school percent like that or high school or <laughs> yeah. any of that like it's it's this whole ecosystem that develops and grows in its own little petri dish but then disappears the minute you leave it yeah yeah it's it's a, a, a there's gotta be some specifics else yeah like the whole barile and kira thing like the, the machinations of what that plot was didn't completely track for me but it didn't i guess it doesn't really matter i mean it's not really a wormhole i don't i guess there aren't many there's got to be a few keith you must have clocked something no i mean not really i mean other than um dumb dumb cops reaction to the to the mm-hmm. transporter like that that was really weird like how how much does he know technology wise because the the village feels very primitive and yet they're very much aware of all these things so um, i guess i would postulate po- what is the word postulate postulate, postulate. Yeah. i guess i would postulate or posit posit that i like that better i guess i would posit this as a wormhole this guy clearly Unless it's really easy to just plug into a computer, this guy clearly devised or was part of devising this machine that creates this incredible hologram, incredible simulation. And yet he doesn't know that the fritzing out 
could possibly be the machine fucking up? Like, well, he, I think he knew. I think he knew that it was the machine fucking up. And didn't do anything to fix it? Well, he's dying. Oh, so he was like, what's the fucking difference? I I, I think he was oh. like, what's the point? Okay. I think he was like, eh, all right, whatever. All right, we're all, I'll take we're it. We're all fading out together. I um, like that. Okay. Because it doesn't matter. Because once I'm gone, no one will care about these people. So what's the difference? Right. Like, you know, it's like, it's going to be like, someone's going to turn it off, right? <laughs> like, otherwise... Uh, Which is why yeah. he's not really making an effort to find making, these people. and he's, he's not trying to find it. He's not trying to fix it. He's sort of like, eh, whatever. It's kind of interesting, too. Like, think about how 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 dark it is that he didn't choose himself for protector because he knew if he gave somebody else the deal of being protector that when things went wrong, he'd never have to f- feel the weight of that because he knew what was going on. Yeah. And there's, and there's a uh, – it's an interesting character because there's so many layers of denial there that, that – uh, that Odo has to break through. He's in denial that he finds these people real, that he mm-hmm. loves Taya. And and so Odo has to sort of break through that denial for even for him to see, like, oh God, no, these people are well, real. Well, not to only me. that, but like imagine, Keith, if you will. So his daughter, his all those people are based on real people who are like, ostensibly dead, right? Like they no. died in the Dominion Wars or whatever, or on the planet when they took over or whatnot. So so Taya is the granddaughter that his dead daughter would have had in the yeah. like it's it's all very like, dark and like maybe would have had yeah right right because it was 30 years so his daughter might have been Taya's age when he built the simulation yeah wow yeah there's a, there's a lot going on there yeah all right let's uh let's go to best moment i think it's that scene the first well both scenes with every scene with odo and the little girl yeah. what's her name i'm sorry could you say it again Let's credit uh, her again. Yes. Uh, it is Noli Thornton I, playing I, Taya. I would posit her as best guest actor. Ba-na-na-na. Yeah, uh, 100%. Her, her and, her and, you know, this episode, you know, I love the questions that it raises. I think that this, the writers definitely give their viewpoint on their thoughts on the answers to those questions in that last speech by Odo, um, in his convincing old man to restart the simulation. And I guess you could argue whether it would have been better to kind of leave us to leave an ambiguous ending or give us your viewpoint, whatever. But that's not important to me. The scenes that Odo has with the little girl felt so viscerally real as to where Odo stands that it made that ending monologue seem vital for him, right? And thus, I feel like, gave us, the viewer, an emotional tie to why it made us want him to start the machine again. It made her and it real to us. And so as to yeah. when we ask those questions that we'll ask in the the grander metaverse, we have – we come down on the side of the, of the writers of the episode because they led us there, which is great, which is great plotting and pacing. So that, those are my favorite scenes was with Odo and the little girl. Yeah, uh, and I I will I will I agree with you, um, but just for the sake of for the sake of sakes and the sakes of difference, uh, because I also think it's it's a very important scene. I I think it is Jake telling his dad doesn't want to be in Starfleet. Yes, and the way that Cisco handled that um, gave me tremendous respect for Cisco um, as as the character because clearly. Jake had just told him something personally disappointing. 
Mm-hmm. Like, Cisco had a lot emotionally invested in Jake following his footsteps into Starfleet. And I think that's, it, it, we don't say it, but the subtext is very clear and the performance is very clear. And um, Avery Brooks' performance is great because you see him feeling that, swallowing it, and rising to the challenge of being a great fucking dad. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I really like that for um, for both characters. I love that for Jake. Yeah. That Jake's character is becoming more interesting because he's starting to um, become an individual. He's he's starting to to blossom and grow into a, you know a young adult who's having his own thoughts and feelings and desires and not just the the kid on the show. Um, you bring up an interesting point. I um I help produce my one of my brother's podcasts. Uh, it's called uh, Rick and Nick's Excellent Adventure. It's a educational psychologist and then my brother who is a doctor in uh, educational development and they talk about all kinds of different stuff but one of the segments on their show is they talk about this this uh book that describes the 40 developmental assets uh most attributed to uh success in the psychological development of children mm. and one of those is unsurprisingly the support system of the community, right? Mm. So it's not, you know, we often zoom in and isolate parents and teachers as the people who are most fundamentally responsible for the educational rearing of our children. But the truth is, is that without a supportive community, uh, well, let me look at it, let me put the positive spin. With With the support of a positive community, you are giving kids a better leg up, right? So that's why kids from the inner city have are at a disadvantage than those who come from a more uh, supportive community. And when I say inner city, I mean uh, like a crime-filled community. So that's but that's why you know kids who are more involved in church or in the Y or in community programs have a better shot because they have a supportive community around them. And what this episode also does, and yes, it's great that we are giving a nod to Ben here, but I think O'Brien's scenes are vital as well because it shows that that mm. ben, that Jake has a supportive system of friends, Nog, a supportive system of people helping him, O'Brien. And, and when O'Brien finds out he doesn't want to be in Starfleet, he doesn't scoff. He gives him yeah. some, he, he helps him out, but he also continues his education because why not learn all this engineering stuff also, right? Yeah. I think it's really cool. Yep. Well, and it's and I and I think that um, O'Brien in particular, his response to Jake's vulnerability was to show his vulnerability. Yeah. And I think that is so important. Um, you know, I don't have kids, right? But I but I still firmly believe that the it is in, desperately important to show kids your vulnerability, to show them your humanity, because it opens up doors for theirs. And and not to be this sort of like automaton that adults pretend to be for kids, um, which sets them off in a world with with unfair expectations of what they're supposed to feel like and be when they're adults. All right, let's talk. Let's throw out some stem bolts. We're well into this discussion. Yeah, uh, the metaphysical questions are just are just delightful because this episode, though twenty plus years ago, is talking 30. about right now. Right. Yeah, it really now. is. We are in that future, man. I'm. Yeah. I'm not kidding. 
I mean, AI can write scripts, can write poetry, can generate incredible portraits of people. AI is is here, y'all. We are living yeah. basically in the simulation. Meet anybody who's 25 or younger and they are in their phones. They are that is their world. This this other reality is tangential to them, okay? And I'm not saying for better or for worse, right? That's not my part of this conversation. I'm just saying we're there. Yeah. And you know, we have to we have to it was very easy it's very easy to just say it's bad and say it's evil and 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 we're afraid of it, but it's here. And so to just have that, you know, Keith, we talk about when we when we get into politics that the vilification of everything is is a poison and it's poisoning political parties, it's poisoning conversation. And so we can't just label it as evil and bad and be done with it. It's not that is not helpful. And so the fact that this episode is taking a different look at it and saying it is important. You can love. It can be we and Odo says we have to look at what our our expect our understanding of life and or reality can't be the only one. It's very limiting. And so you know, how the question is going to be not is it good or bad, but how are we going to use it? How are we going to uh what's the word? Uh, moderate it? it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, these are incredible questions, and they were asking it so many years ago, and here we are, and now we're watching this yeah. episode and wrestling with it, and it's it's really, it's hard not to credit an episode that can be so specific about something they didn't know, they didn't know much about and have nailed it so much. I mean, I yeah. think that, and left it still vital and interesting and ponderous 30 years later. That's, well, and I, I, that's I, good. I think... Uh, yes, yes to all of that, um, and and I you know and, and I think my my thoughts are, you know, about AI or or any of these things. Like I consider it sort of like um, electricity, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, once we discovered electricity, it changed everything. It, be, it it influenced all elements of our life. It is neither good nor evil. It can be used very much for good or for evil. It is difficult to control. Um, you know, and it's going to be a part of every human being's life mm-hmm. forever. Um, and it's it's very dangerous when not controlled. It's very productive when controlled. And we're going to have to figure out how to navigate that. You know, how, how do we navigate it safely? Because it is, it is definitely a grand opportunity and a grand risk. And we're going to see, you know, uh, unfortunately, it's working at such an exponential pace. Whereas, at a, you know, electricity, it worked its way through the neighborhoods and through the different people. And, um, you know, it the, the, the beta testing happened on a much smaller scale. It right. wasn't everyone in in the entire universe now has electricity and it's super powerful and it's it's right there and it's ready to go um but i think it's a, it's a similar thing anyway so to uh, to get to what i think makes this episode great is the combination of that those big thoughts those big ideas the technology the metaphysical questions about life and existence and future and immortality mixed with great character beats yes great character storytelling um you know not necessarily for kira uh that was well, i weird. would say to, to quickly put a point on uh, the only failing of this episode in my opinion 
is that entire storyline. It at because it uh, it was cringy at worst, and at best, it added nothing. So it's a swing and a miss for me. That portion. Yeah. Well, it's uh, yes. Um, just to finish the thought, the Odo character beats here, um, really beautiful and important. Um, you know, we're 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 learning a little bit more about the Dominion. I think this this idea that she had heard of changelings before and that fable, like that's really interesting, especially looking back. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the, the Kira thing, like, like we, we talked about, it's hard to put your finger on what makes that so cringy. Um, because on paper it shouldn't be, it kind of makes, it'll kind of all make sense. Like why wouldn't these people be hot for each other? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't Kira have a romance? Why wouldn't whatever? Like, yeah, that it on paper. But when it you have work, such a good A really and C doesn't. plot, that B plot being weak well, I, doesn't. I, eh, whatever. I mean, I mean, out of the context of this particular episode, Kira's relationship with, with Barile feels cringy, mm-hmm. and I can't put my finger on why, other than I I do think it is the sort of lack of vulnerability the i i think maybe we're just sort of culturally you know it is keith i got it for you what is it uh i love an inside baseball thing it's hot seymour you know what i mean it's like doing little shop with your hot seymours never works for me because i was like there's no vulnerable like you can play the yeah. vulnerability but like seymour's like a frumpy dude who uh, who, find, right. who finds love? It's it's like when you hot him up, then you're just like, this is weird now. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's, it's fuckable Valjean. Yeah, it's like this so is what it's supposed to be. It's not what it's supposed to be. No, it's not. Valjean oh, is a anyway. friendly bus driver. Keith, we've gone not over a, our ninety minute mark. I'm gonna oh, say, God, what are we doing? I think it's a great episode. I really liked this episode. <laughs> I like the ideas. I think it's up there with some of the best this season. I'm saying eight seven five. Eight seven five. 87.5 uh yeah i don't think i i don't think i it's not quite as high for me it's an episode that i always like likes the quiet ones no i like the quiet ones too i think the trappings of it the sort of like we're on a weird village with dum-dums with beads in their ears and i'm like uh until I watch it. Mm-hmm. It's one of those That's ones fair. where I like every time I see it coming up and I haven't seen it in a couple of years, I'm like, oh really? Yeah. And then I watch it, I'm like, oh no, that was good. Um so I'm gonna give it uh 81. Okay. 81 self-sealing stem bolts. Next week we are watching Playing God. So uh, look out for that. Um, folks, if you have enjoyed this, please check out our other shows. Look at my Star Trek toys and K&M Geekly, which is just Mike and I talking, mm-hmm. which is, you know, everything that we've ever done in the world. Uh, you can join our patrons at patreon.com slash K&M. Spell out that. And if you're listening to the audio-only version of this, give us a, uh, a rating and review on whatever your podcasting service of choice. It will help other people find us. And we very much appreciate that. Uh, Mike, any final thoughts? Yeah, I do have some final thoughts. Uh, check out this week's K&M Geekly. It aired on Monday. It, it, we talk some 
some holiday memories and it's like an opportunity to kind of really see kind of just us telling stories. And that's what K&M Geekly is. It's just mm-hmm. us chatting and it's a little bit insight to us. So if, uh, and also um, just another thank you. Uh, in the grand scheme of YouTube things, Keith and I were talking about this last night, a thousand subs, it's a thousand subs, right? It's like, this is not our, it's not our full-time job. Keith and I both work multiple other jobs. We this do. is a labor of love for us. And so though a thousand subs gets us into the YouTube ad program, which does help us offset our time, it's more just a validation that there are people who are enjoying the community we're trying to build and talk about and and just our vibe. And, and it means, oh man, we, we both tried last night to kind of verbalize what it means. I, I can't, I don't know what it is, but it means something to us both. And so I just wanted yeah. to say thank you for being a part of it. And if you are enjoying that maybe tell a friend see if you can get them in if not don't worry about it it can be just us it's cool yeah, yeah. Fair there enough. you go all right folks we will <coughs> excuse me see you on saturday with another episode of look at my star trek toys and more Monday with kingdom geekly yeah. with more daz but till then this has been keith and mike watch deep space nine thank you for watching KM entertainment if you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KNM.